Hello and welcome once again to all the listeners out there. Please welcome to the What's the Tea stage, my guest for this episode, Indo-Swiss burlesque artist and queen of fire tassels, Misty Lotus. Hi there. Hi, welcome to the show, Misty. Thank you so much for having me. Each and every week without fail, I get to have this honor of sitting down with some incredible humans doing incredible work in an industry that I absolutely adore. Yeah, you've had some fabulous people featured on your podcast, so I'm really honored and a bit scared to be here at the same time, I have to admit. (laughs) Nothing to be scared about. You're a seasoned professional. Come on. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I guess I am. It's been a few years now. (laughs) Uh, Well, I suppose like with last year, one year certainly does feel like a lifetime. Yeah, it does. I actually did a performance today for a casting like in person. And so Mm -hmm. I had a three person audience and I was like, oh, my God, it's been so long since I've had anyone watch me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it actually felt great. (laughs) That's cool. That's cool. Gracie here. Okay, so I believe that your journey with burlesque began around 2014 when a friend who loved your personal style of wearing corsets all the time suggested y'all do a burlesque course. So was the online class that you took with Satan's Angel your first foray into burlesque? Actually, my first class um, doing burlesque was actually 2011. Ah, And yeah, so it's been a while, but uh, I didn't actually start performing till 2014 because... Uh, I mean, so many things happened. We we started out um, dancing. We started out a great group of friends that I still have today. And it just so happened that we found another superb teacher called Emma Milan. Have mm-hmm. you heard of her? No, not yet. Mm, so she's this amazing producer here in Switzerland. And she used to teach classes back then in 2013, mm-hmm. which is when I started my course with her. And I performed for the first time in 2014, and then I was really fascinated by by burlesque, obviously, but also the history, and I uh, found about uh, Satan's Angel, and that's when I did an online class with her, <laughs> and she was uh, critiquing one of my acts, which is, <laughs> which is something really special. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's how everything happened, I guess, in a nutshell. You are the, actually like the first swiss burlesque performer that i have come across and i'm actually interested to know about the switzerland burlesque scene when i started out it was mostly emma producing shows and then a few of us who were like ex-students or we continued our burlesque journey then we sort of became producers but uh switzerland is still like very small-minded and they're not really used to burlesque so they're not a lot of events happening Mm -hmm. and well especially now but um yeah emma is still one of the top producers i don't think she 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 teaches much anymore she does like a few classes but she mostly produces like really high-end shows that i Mm -hmm. that i'm very lucky to be a part of a uh, part of still Mm -hmm. i think my first time performing it at one of her shows uh was in 2014 and i still do now she still asked me to perform so i'm very honored (laughs) amazing 
Yeah, so there's like a few of us and also it's a bit strange. I mean, of course, you're from South Africa, so it's very yeah. multicultural. Yeah. But over here, there's like a barrier between different parts of Switzerland because there's the Swiss Germans who speak only German and the mm -hmm. Swiss French who speak only French and the Swiss Italians, which are... It's a bit ridiculous for such a small country, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so it's uh, not a lot of communication. Though We all get along, but we all speak in English, so uh -huh. to make it easier. <laughs> wow, and how many languages do you speak? Oh, I only speak English and French, and I do speak some German, but I don't say it too loud because then people expect me to speak in German, and I, it just gets me too nervous. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm much more comfortable getting off, uh, taking my clothes off than speaking German. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So how does your love for wearing corsets in your everyday life influence your burlesque costuming? Um, so it's, uh, it's a little funny because basically I used to be this huge goth when I was a teenager mm -hmm. and, uh, that's where I started wearing a lot of corsets, which is why my friend asked me to start burlesque. Uh, and to be honest, I don't wear corsets that much anymore. Mm -hmm. I just, when I perform, I think I, I grew up and I, I, I noticed like there's so much greatness that comes from feeling comfortable every day. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I do wear it like I'm still very girly in the sense that I wear mostly dresses and I'm like hyper feminine style, but um, I don't wear uh, corsets that much in anymore. Also, I realized that my body type is just naturally curvy, so it didn't change much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I just I did like the fact that it would accentuate parts of your body. But um, yeah, right now it's only reserved for this stage. Mm -hmm. especially in COVID times. <laughs> mm -hmm. You've been crowned by your mentor, Satan's Angel, as the queen of fire tassels. So where did this love for playing with fire stem from? I think it started with my father because... So my father was um, was Indian and he would always play with fire. As soon as there was like fire on a candle on, on the table, he'd start playing with it and stuff. And I remember my mom always saying, like, don't do that in front of her. She's going to get ideas. <laughs> and mm -hmm. yeah, I think I'd always been interested in fire performance. And I and for years, I was saying, like, when I was a teenager again, I was like, I'd love to do fire. And then when I started burlesque, I was like, well, now you have a reason to. You have to learn this. Mm -hmm. So I started out fire reading and then I learned breathing, fire fans and a lot of things. I think my favorite thing to do is fire eating as mm -hmm. well as, of course, fire tassels. But yeah, I think that's how uh, it brought me through this journey. And I think that's why I, what I admired in Angel as well so much, because she she always had this sort of devil may care attitude and she like seemed very much one with fire. And I learned like um, through the class we did together that she was also a fire eater uh, mm -hmm. when she was performing younger. So, yeah, she she gave me a couple of tips with those uh, with the fire as well. Mm -hmm. So like when you were doing your burlesque classes, is that kind of when you had the idea that you would like to incorporate this element into a burlesque routine? Yes, definitely. Because I I was always interested in doing fire and I think it was definitely my first love before I knew what burlesque was. Mm -hmm. But then just, yeah, it sort of clicked. It's just because I was like, well, now I have a reason to actually perform fire and I can make it make sense in like telling a story on stage and yeah i i really i think like having a story for me is really important um in an act so so i think that's maybe why i didn't do fire before burlesque it's just it needed to make sense somehow 
mm-hmm. that makes sense. <laughs> Speaking of your uh, telling a story, the story nature of your acts, your repertoire includes acts like dragon, peacock, and poison ivy. What is it about these mystical creatures and characters that inspires you? Well, I've always loved, you know, fantastic beasts and mythological beings and like this, I've always been into fantasy and I always imagined um, a dragon to be like this really powerful creature. And I think that, you know, every time you're making an act, you're sort of overcoming something personal through that act even if it's not like super apparent in the finished product. But uh, for me, it was really, you know, being proud as this sexual, powerful being on stage. And that's what what it, what inspired me and what this act became. Mm-hmm. And with Poison Ivy, it was more it took Poison Ivy. It took like a long time to figure out. I think basically it's because I have a huge crush on her. Like I <laughs> since I was maybe nine years old, I didn't even understand what it was, but I was just always very drawn to that character. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, this really female in, like she's also really politically engaged. If you think about the comic book character, like she's, you know, all about the environment and mm-hmm, stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, and in this, you know, she's this like one baddie in the middle of all these male um villains you know in the in the universe so i think like that's what really inspired me and it took some time to figure out um how to do this act properly because i had many versions of the poison ivy act but now i finally have a version that that made sense in my mind which is where i staple leaves to my body mm-hmm. and um yeah so it's all about you know how you know things can seem toxic from outside but Mm -hmm. actually for you it's like a different it's like healing somehow so yeah I'm happy with this now (laughs) (laughs) well I mean it totally makes sense you know with poison ivy being quite a foliage with a little bit of danger exactly (laughs) you can't push her around the wrong way she'll make you itch (laughs) (laughs) you're based in Switzerland and have lived in Berlin where you co-produced Kupfer Cabaret have performed in 15 countries to date on three continents what have you learned about the burlesque industries in these various countries from your travels? Uh, it's very interesting. I think the audiences for sure change from country to country, even region to region. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting also uh, the way uh, burlesque is produced in, in different countries. And it's very like, as I as you may have gathered from what I've been saying, that so it's Switzerland burlesque is still very new even though it's been around for so long just because there are not as many shows not as many opportunities Mm -hmm. so like the audience the way you have to present burlesque to them is like a very abc sort of way and this is what you're going to see and this is what you're going to do whereas you go to like more seasoned places like for example helsinki where you know betty blackheart has been producing and performing for years now Mm -hmm. um there's a very different sort of take it's like and also the sort of burlesque that's actually made there like the performers and the risks they take i don't even think that they consider what they're doing very risky because like the audience has been used to seeing so many different things for so long Mm -hmm. that it's just really interesting where they're taking burlesque and it's the same in the u.s like um before i traveled to the u.s i was always thinking well um all the performers I'd seen from the US travel in in Europe were all doing like uh, very classical vintage sort of burlesque. But when you're actually there, you realize, no, these people have 
so much uh, variety to their performances. They can do really anything. I mean, most of the performers I've met, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I, I really like I found that it was a lot of uh, the feeling of freedom in the US, you know, somehow. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, for sure, when I performed in Asia, well, the, again, it was like, it's even newer than in Switzerland. So in some places, so it was all about, you know, sort of explaining and, and, and showing and teaching the audience what it is and how to appreciate you, which is which is really great because it brings you back to what burlesque is as well. So, and it reminds you what why you're doing this for sure. Mm-hmm. Is there a style of, of burlesque that is prevalent in Switzerland? And like, how does, how would you define your style and how it fits into that situation? I don't think my style ever fit properly in Switzerland. I think I made it fit at some point mm-hmm. because definitely the reason I left uh, to um, to live in Berlin for a year was because I wasn't getting many bookings because what, what was told to me was that I was way too neo and also I noticed a trend in all these, um, like they're amazing events, but most of the events only featured uh, usually white, thin, uh, um, cis, like women, who were like beautiful and who did magnificent performances, but I didn't see myself in any of these uh, performers. Mm-hmm. And so I I think I also convinced myself that there wasn't really a space for me here. And I just needed to go somewhere else to, gl- to grow, just like a place, you know, it's just, again, like in Switzerland, there's maybe one show a month. Whereas if you go to Berlin, there are two, three, four shows every week. Mm-hmm. And then many opportunities, you know, to perform in a bar or in a, in a club or whatever. And so I really think that I don't think it's such a bad thing, you know, uh, the feeling I got uh, back then because it really pushed me to discover new things. And obviously living in Berlin was such a blast and I met so many (laughs) great people. So I don't think there's any like I I really had so many great opportunities there. I mean, I'll cherish them forever. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, traveling in Europe is, of course, a lot easier than many places in the world. Like France is probably is a, a two hour plane ride away, if that. It's like 40 minute drive if I want to go to the outskirts, outskirts of France. So yeah, like the frontier is 40 minutes away. And obviously it's also very easy to travel because we don't need that many visas. We don't have visa issues mm-hmm. because it's all like a Schengen space. So you can travel freely, which is really comfortable. Uh, comforting and yeah so getting around I mostly perform in Germany mm-hmm. and uh, the UK in mm-hmm. in Europe most of the times mm-hmm. yeah because I'm just thinking about you've been performing professionally for the past three years maybe just a little bit longer than that um, yeah if you don't count the p- pandemic yes exactly <laughs> that's where the hesitancy came from yes <laughs> but yeah so you've been like decided to become a full-time professional burlesque artist let's just say for the past three years and that's why I brought up travel just seen as the Swiss scene is still kind of small and growing obviously the ease of being able to travel in and around Europe would certainly help you with being able to attend more gigs oh yes definitely obviously I have to mention that you really still need to like to travel mm-hmm. because that and something I know it causes a lot of anxiety in some performers mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's been super easy because like um, when I was living in Berlin, I'd actually sometimes take the train to get back to where I live. And it was just 
if I get a good connection, I'd only need to change trains once. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a nine hour train ride. It was a little excessive. But mm. I mean, at least, you know, you're sitting in, you don't have any security. You just have just like put your bag somewhere and just you can sleep for nine hours. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's really like it's 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 super convenient. And like also uh, it's easier, you know, to um, have um, consecutive tour dates as well, because like, for example, if I'm performing in Prague or in yeah in Czech Republic then it's just like a four-hour bus ride to go to Berlin and then from Berlin I can stop over somewhere else in Germany like Hamburg or mm-hmm. or Freiburg or Munich or something you know on the way back home so mm-hmm. uh, yeah it is it is easier to plan for sure you so you've been called out by some Swiss people for being too sexual and you made mention <laughs> that this is due to plus-size women being underrepresented in Switzerland. Like, why is Mm. that? And do you feel that your work as a burlesque artist has helped to change these outdated perceptions? Uh, I think like definitely, so this happened to me, maybe it was 2018. And I think that there's definitely been a shift in in those kind of thoughts, mainly just because I've been performing more and more in the past, well, three-ish years, (laughs) if we don't count COVID again. But Mm. um, yeah, I was definitely called out for being, oh yeah, what what I was doing was vulgar or too sectional. And I was just like, okay, that's fine. But then I'd be like, why is it okay for, I mean, you admire this other performer who does like, I feel like worse stuff than me on stage. Like I seem tame next to this person. Mm-hmm. And I just realized it's just people don't like seeing bigger bodies doing sec- highly sexualized stuff. They're not comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think that it's not, you know, these people's own fault the way they're th- they're thinking. It's just that if you expose them to bigger bodies to more um, bodies of color and all all this, it just like normalizes it more. And Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, gets them used to these ideas that of course we can be sexual too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's the same with like, for example, um, Indian sexuality, which is like, Mm -hmm. since I grew up in India uh, before arriving in Switzerland and uh, I was never used to this idea that uh, Indian women could be proud of their sexuality or could be sexual beings because of the way I was brought up and mostly it's not my parents fault it was more the sex like the the constant like uh, censorship of women's bodies and and women's opinions and definitely the more you're you know you see even on you know on tab- television or mm-hmm. on, in movies more people that look like you and who are speaking out on things that are important to you, like the more focus change and and changes and people are, you know, more used to this sort of diverse way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I definitely think that it, everything comes down to this. You don't want like any of your your productions may be like a television show or a book or like a dance uh, piece or a burlesque show to be always the same sort of people mm-hmm. um yeah no one's told me that since then so okay yeah. good good to know and i mean that's one of the amazing things about burlesque is that you know it's almost like with so many things when you are the person out there representing an underrepresented people uh for whatever yeah. reason it may be you know and it's only because literally for the past thousands of years society has been made to think that way. So it's not even necessarily changing one's mind. It's actually for, to get people to understand that 
this is the way it should have been from the beginning. Yeah, definitely. And I think we have a responsibility there because I am a big believer in the fact that life imitates art and it's not the other way around. Mm. We have to show what we want to see in the world and then it will happen just because people are used to the idea and it's not so strange anymore. Exactly. So, exactly. Mm -hmm. That it's, you know, to shift the thought that it's not, this is an alternative way of thinking or an alter alternative lifestyle choice. It's like, actually, this is the way we should be looking at human beings and respecting each other. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So with your half Swiss Indian heritage, is it fair mm -hmm. to say that Europeans are known for being more liberal in their ways, whereas in a country like India, it's associated with having a more conservative society? So how do you go yeah. about explaining your chosen profession as a burlesque artist to your family and friends from such diverse cultural backgrounds? Oh, they don't care. They're super supportive. <laughs> I think I think that they... I think that the style of burlesque I do really helps because I have really nice costumes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so basically they directly get that oh it's it's a form it's an art form. They're not they don't completely associate it with like stripping or anything. And then like most of my other people um in, in India that I'm con in contact with it be it family or friends are like either they're artists themselves or you know i mean as a whole obviously india is quite conservative mm -hmm. but then if you think of the maybe you know one percent that's like very open-minded and who are like politically engaged and everything well you think one percent is not a lot but in a country of more than a billion people it's mm -hmm. a lot of people mm -hmm. and so like being in contact with them has been also like really inspiring and i've had so so much support and lovely comments like uh some of my friends and family have been saying like such a ballsy woman like <laughs> you go you're a badass you're complete yeah i i'm very i'm very lucky but i just think that you know I, I think it what I'm saying may come from a place of privilege as well. But I think that if you are really doing something with your heart and that it's like completely obvious, you know, you're living it to the fullest and it's obvious like what what you're doing to other people, like to other people as well. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yes, indeed. Yeah, I do think obviously like, you know, had, if my grandmother was still around and, and stuff like the older generation would would have a much harder time coping with this but mm. since it's <laughs> since it's mostly i think the 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 oldest people i'm still in touch with there are around 40 45 so mm. it's you know i think that they they know what it's about and again you know i don't know like when you see like celebrities now that you know who are also worshipped in india and the way they dress like it's mm -hmm. not such a huge difference what i'm doing on stage so mm -hmm. um i do think that for example Indian men I've received a lot of comments so these are not people from my family or anything but mm. uh, just because I have a, 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 a huge following on YouTube mostly mm -hmm. <laughs> I found out the other other day that 98% of my video views on YouTube are from India Wow and yeah so uh, I don't get that many nasty comments I mostly get like nice comments but I do think that the general consensus is more like this is beautiful, you're using great music, and they're proud to see their country represented. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's just like, 
if it's men, it's like they're happy to like wank off on you, but then they're like, please don't come and do this in your own country, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when performing Peacock, which is a tribute to your home country of India and its national bird, what are you wanting Mm. audiences to take away from experiencing this act? Uh, that I'm very proud of my heritage because this act was extremely hard for me to get out because I went through a lot of racism when moving uh, to Switzerland as a as a child. I was 10 years old and uh, I'd have like so many nasty comments about my country being a garbage country and like obviously like I'm half Swiss but they didn't care about that because basically the fact that I was only half didn't make me Swiss at all you know Mm. and also I didn't speak French when I first moved here I I learned pretty quickly as you do when you're young but that was that was always something and it's also something to be said about like the close-mindedness here but I think that also comes from like I was I moved here into like a, a small town and I think that if I was in like a maybe a bigger city like Geneva and Zurich I wouldn't have gone through that as much but mm-hmm. yeah I was made to be really ashamed of where I came from and it was it was it was quite hard you know finding that pride again you know mm-hmm. just because I was made to believe that I was less than the people here just because of uh, my origins and the the color of my skin even though i'm quite light-skinned but mostly like my father who is darker mm-hmm. and you know it was um so yeah it was all about being like peacock is symbol of pride i feel mm-hmm. so so uh yeah i think that was that's what i want people to notice is just i want them to see this like beautiful indian goddess on stage and who is proud of herself and her sexuality and also something that was also very hard conceiving with this act is because i never um since sexuality is so banned you know in any form of uh, representation in in india mm-hmm. it was very hard to find inspiration with like as in how do you take off clothes sexily mm-hmm. if you're an indian woman how are you taking off uh, traditional you know uh, clothing off in a sexy way there's oh, no example of that yeah and it it was i i had to find out on my own i had to get inspired by like local dances to see oh well this is the way they move so maybe i should try and incorporate stripping in that form because there is nothing like that and um so my newest act i'm working on um is also um about uh my indian heritage but it goes through like a more uh darker route as i said that you know every act is sort of you know coping with something that you're going through your life so Mm -hmm. my peacock was all about pride and you know uh being happy about who you are and uh this newer one is about overcoming like the darker things that happen to to you in life by by the strength that's within and that's given to you by uh the the gods and goddesses basically and i have a sari and i was like how do i take off a sari in a sexy (laughs) way because every day when i was uh, growing up in india i'd watch my grandmother put her sari on but Mm -hmm. i never see her take it off (laughs) so so i was like how how did i miss this (laughs) maybe she she had no trouble putting it on but maybe she, she she, you know, she hid on purpose, so I didn't see how she was stripping out of her sari, you know. Oh, I love so, it. Yeah. Also, yeah. there's that saying, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. In this case, yes. the need to take off the sari. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, but so I I looked up videos like sorry strip to see if someone had done it. I'd come through come across like this really seedy porn videos in India, and I was like, <laughs> I do not want to watch them. The, 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 this doesn't look like any consent forms were signed. So it's like, yeah, um, yeah. So I found out like on my own like how to do it, and I'm pretty happy with it. But yeah, it's like there's no example. It's yeah. you know you can look on YouTube. There's like 600 performers on the first page of YouTube telling you how to take off your 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 gloves or corset uh-huh, but there's uh-huh. no one telling you how to take off a sari so well now if you ever want to google that you have misty yeah. lotus telling you how to take off your sari <laughs> uh, maybe i think i should actually monetize that a lot more than just being free because i had to i had it's a full concept you know yeah. so, there's a so, workshop yeah. in this I think so. I think so. But it must be geared only to Indian women. So I think there have to be a few more that come out now, you know? Yeah. (laughs) You can do it as a collaboration of how to take off like traditional garments. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Like we could get a bunch of us, you know, um, Mm. Asian performers or African performers all together and, and, you know, demonstrate. That would be so fabulous. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I mean, so for each of your acts, you offer Mm. multiple options for the inclusion of various performance elements like props and, of course, your signature fire apparatuses. Mm -hmm. This is fire apparatuses. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) That's a a word, right? Yeah, it is a word. (laughs) So, I mean, what advice do you have for performers when creating acts that can be easily adjusted to suit a variety of venues or themes or what the client requires? Uh, I think it's super important just because, uh, as we know, in burlesque, we always we don't always have like a a seven meter stage. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes uh, people are like, well, this is a table on the bar and this is where you're going to perform tonight. Mm -hmm. So if you're um, over choreographing your acts or if you're thinking you can do fire or including include your huge props everywhere you go, that's not going to happen. And also you want to make as much coin as possible. So if, let's say, people want you to perform in the daytime and you know there are going to be kids there, then maybe you want to make like a, a like a, a more friendly version. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you a family-friendly um, version, a PG version. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, just literally today I was talking uh, with this casting agent and um, he was thanking me because he was like, well, thank you for being so flexible and offering us different possibilities because... I think they're basically casting a show that's for adults in the evening and kids in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, if your performance is going to have like kids in the audience, I can always do uh, just the fire show and walk around as a dragon. They love that, you know. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, to be honest, I don't like kids, but I mean, (laughs) you know, I don't mind. for the coin. I I don't mind performing for them, but I I don't, I don't really like having them around. I'm sorry, this is gonna make me sound so bad. <laughs> nice. I just get really, I just get really awkward around children. So, mm-hmm. um, unless I'm playing the part of a dragon. So yeah, like, so yeah, you want to make to be flexible about your acts, and also because at some point you're forced to adapt anyway. So you might as well be prepared for it and imagine like, okay, so what's what's going to happen if my stage is two meter by two? What's going to happen if the stage is huge and that I have to walk across this whole thing? What's going to happen if, you know, like some, you know, we always have our like a dream shows where you're like, okay, and there's a blackout. And then when the lights comes in, I'm 
on the stage and everything's fabulous. And like, how many times has that happened in, in our burlesque career? I think we can count it on our hands, right? So, mm-hmm. so yeah, you, you do need to be like flexible about your entrances, about your... Uh, yeah, about what you're doing, the props, the fire, the the, the extra skills, like what you're adding in there for sure. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've seen your costumes and they are just exquisite and exude grandeur, you know. So that's, of course, like a lot of time and efforts and money that has been put into this. So I would yeah. imagine you also want to be able to get as much mileage out of that as possible. Yes, yes, I, I would. <laughs> So, um, do you want my advice? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, to be honest, I think that the best acts I've done were those that have been conceived for years sometimes, you know? The peacock took two years before it was complete. The dragon took two years before it was mm-hmm. complete. And it's because, and obviously it's because it was expensive costuming and mm-hmm. I needed to had time to put the money aside as well Mm -hmm. but also what you realize that if you're doing something and that you're not putting the effort in the costuming and you know in the stitches and in the way the whole garment is constructed and the the way it's taken off then the costume is going to get ruined super early in the game Mm -hmm. and then you're going to have to invest more like even if you didn't invest so much in the beginning you'll have to keep investing in repairs all the time Mm -hmm. so yeah, basically the peacock uh, d- doesn't really need any repairs when it's been, well, without Corona, it was performed for, I think, almost three years nonstop. Mm-hmm. And the dragon, I, I've i had to change the dress now, like, uh, like, not the whole thing, but the bodice, because it was really falling into pieces. Mm-hmm. But uh, it did get like four years of stage time before it needed any repairs at all. Mm-hmm. So... So I do encourage, like, if you're doing things on your own, I mean, I'm sometimes, like, a really sloppy person. Like, (laughs) I I know how to stitch, but, like, when you look at the back of it, it's never straight or anything. (laughs) When you do put in the time and effort, like, the Mm -hmm. garment does last longer. So I I do recommend, you know, spending time and actually, you know, putting some money aside to, to, to invest something so it's you know durable and also like if you can't make things on your own because like for example poison ivy i made on my own mm-hmm. but the the peacock tail and the dragon uh, wings are actually jamie von stratton's uh creation um who is in seattle mm-hmm. so she's a fabulous costume designer and burlesque performer as well she's actually i think very well priced for what for the quality that she gives Mm -hmm. but it is an investment but i do recommend you know working with costumers who are also burlesque performers because they know what your garment is gonna go through you know yeah yeah and yeah yeah. yeah, so so they'll they'll make sure it has the the best sort of you know that it's also easy to transport you know yeah um Yeah. yeah you need people with experience if you can't do things on your own so just yeah think about that Mm-hmm. That's excellent advice. Thank you for your insight. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> in 2019, you opened the Swiss Burlesque Academy in Lausanne. Yes. And then, of course, 2020 presented us with a global pandemic. So how yeah. have you and your studio fared during this time? Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> so basically, I usually do two semesters a year. And it's 
I think eight classes, sometimes 10 for over four to six months, mm -hmm. uh, twice a year. And so I was lucky enough that last uh, June, they opened up things uh, again in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. So I was able to move over the classes that weren't that we had to miss because of the pandemic. And I managed to give all my classes during the summer before the new semester in, in September. Mm -hmm. So I didn't lose any money, fortunately. But this year has been tough because we were closed for four to five months. And I did give classes over Zoom, but I don't think it's the same. And, you know, I am mm. not I know this is going to sound like really snobbish. And I think that I love online classes. I love following online classes, mm -hmm. but it's not for everyone. And like some of my students they're here really you know to have personal connection not only with me mm -hmm. but also with the other students yes. so obviously in an online class they have direct connection to me but they don't see what the other girls are doing mm -hmm. and um so it's you know and since most of them sign up you know to accept their bodies to further their confidence you know to mm -hmm. gain confidence to to like become like the uh, you know a powerful woman mm -hmm. like it's it's sort of I think there's also this element of going to a studio and uh, not being, you know, when the feeling we have, you know, you're, you're done with the class or you're done with an online show and you just close the computer and you're alone in your room that you haven't left all day. I think that's definitely, you know, hurting the morale of people. And I also yes. noticed that when I was giving like online classes, like some girls, they just could not manage to feel sexy at home. Yeah. And I think that yeah. that's definitely something, you know, to consider in giving burlesque and i you know if i was giving like a simple choreography class i think that it would be different but since i it's really important to me that these women feel fantastic about themselves mm -hmm. and so since i was feeling that these online classes i was giving wasn't really doing that job i preferred to stay closed mm -hmm. and uh which was really bad financially but like we just were able to able to open two weeks ago so oh, wow. I think I was like on the brink of ruin and then like suddenly we were able to open. So, so I was saved. <laughs> I feel like your next, one of your next acts then can be uh, the Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> you know? Yeah. That would be a good one. <laughs> yes. And that can be, you know, your experience of the last uh, 12 months. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, rebirth. Like, <laughs> yeah. To be honest, like this year wasn't all bad. Again, you know, I got to meet so many performers from overseas, just, you know, virtually. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's not the same, but, you know, like doing all these online shows and stuff, it brought us closer. And I think there's more understanding that there was two years ago. Mm -hmm. And so that's been something really beautiful, I feel. And yeah. so and also, you know, it was also an opportunity. Like, remember, like the good old days when it was just March and we were just locked down and we didn't know how long it was going last oh yeah so you're like yeah and so you were just thinking oh i have a month off like this is great time to work on myself so. yeah yeah <laughs> like had anyone told us it'll last this long i don't think we would have coped so well but yeah. for me it was really an opportunity to grow and like take care of myself just because also i realized that i'm always like filling my schedule up so much that i'm always doing a lot for others and not so much for myself and then And that I should also treat myself with, um, you know, respect and as a human being who needs sleep. And mm -hmm. so this <laughs> this was this was important, I think, also, you know, to realize how 
how how you can better your life in general. Mm -hmm. Cool. What can we look forward to from Misty Lotus in the near future then? By September, I think I will have three brand new acts ready. Wow. So uh, I've been really productive this these last few months. So I'm really excited to share these new these new beings and mm. magical creatures on stage. Yes. And I guess um more touring as soon as they are gonna allow us i'm gonna fly out because <laughs> mm -hmm. i miss traveling so much like i've always traveled a lot and this is like meeting people from different cultures like even if it's just germany you mm -hmm. know <laughs> it's just <laughs> like i'll take it even if it's just germany yes exactly <laughs> Yeah, but I really want to travel. I want to, I want to do like some really special productions as well. And I and I want to continue. Like I've decided, there's a point now. I really want to do more, like either work for producers or do my own productions that are, as I said, much more inclusive and and things like that. Like most of my produ productions are, like all of my productions are actually quite inclusive up till now. But I really want to do it even more just because I realized how this past year, how important it was to have like, you know, to show off, you know, models of how you wish society was. Oh, so yes. I want to do that with, I think I was always already doing it subconsciously, mm -hmm. but now I really want to do it like actively thinking about it, you know? Yes. So, so yeah, that's going to be something. And awesome. yeah, yeah. And then <sighs> of course, lastly, please, can you let mm -hmm. us, and the listeners know where we can find and support you as an artist and all this work that you've got going on. Oh, so you can follow me on Instagram at Misty Lotus and my website is mistylotus.com. And if you want to support me tomorrow, I'll be re releasing a brand new act that's only for virtual audiences. So this act won't be performed in the same way in person and it, and it has my sari strip. So uh, you can you can buy this act for five dollars or five euros or five pounds or five Swiss francs at a minimum. And if you have a lot of money and you love me so much, then you can <laughs> give me more <laughs> and you can. So you'll have access to this video. You can watch it as many times as you want. Is this on your website? Um, yeah, I'll send I'll be posting details to, tomorrow. Oh, where we can find it. Yes, exactly. But yeah, it will be on a hidden page on my website. Ooh, the mystery that is misty yes <laughs> <laughs> okay and then youtube can we like diversify that 98 percent of viewership a little bit more yes please do that <laughs> um it's just misty lotus if you search for me on youtube you'll find my page and you'll find uh most of my acts on there so yeah Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you, Misty Lotus. It has been an absolute magical journey traveling with you on this episode of What's the Tease. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It was great to speak to you <laughs> and again, hear your lovely voice. <laughs> Thank you.